Well, it's uh, my delight to be with you today and to be with you, some of you, last night. It's a, it's a joy to see this uh, body, meet uh, some of your leaders, and um, to see, wow, wow, what a beautiful facility you have here, too. It's uh, very, very lovely. Well, let's pray again before, before we start. Lord, uh, may the, the words of my lips and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. So this passage is about priests, and we learn from this passage that, that, that leaders and, and teachers and pastors, they're crucial for the health of a church. Uh, I'm sure you know that from the history of this church. It's true in the history of every church, isn't it? If pastors are off-center, the church, the church is going to go off-center. Therefore, Satan, Satan wants to subvert pastors. That's, that's a reminder to pray regularly. Do you do that? Do you pray regularly for your pastors? Sometimes we can think, well, pastors don't need prayer. I mean, pastors are specially committed. We don't need to pray for pastors. But no, pastors need to be especially prayed for because that's who Satan wants to cut down because then he can harm the church in remarkable ways. You know, some pastors, I've trained pastors for many years now. I've been a pastor myself. Past, some pastors fall into significant sin and bring great reproach upon Christ and on the church. I was in a church for many years where one of the leaders, he covered up a seven-year affair that he was having with a pianist. When that affair came out, it was, it was a shock to the church. I happened to be at the, that time, I was the chair of the elders. All these seven years he was ministering before the congregation, pretending to be following the Lord. When, when the adultery came out, it went off like a bomb in the church. The, the consequences in the church were they were devastating, they were, they were, they were profound, and in, in a number of cases it unleashed sin that was in people's hearts like, like a flood. Well, what do I mean by that? I mean, there was, there was bitterness. I was in these meetings. There was anger. There was, there was shouting, and um, it was just perhaps maybe the most difficult time in my life, at least my church life. You know, I saw the church I loved, I just saw it unraveling right before my eyes. I mean, finally God sustained the church, but it went through such a difficult time because of the sin, the sin of one of the leaders. So in this text today, Malachi reminds us of the importance of, of, of leaders, of teachers, of pastors to the life of the church. And Malachi is reproving uh, these priests because they're not living godly lives. And so I see two, two different truths that he, that he emphasizes here. Uh, first, teachers are to honor God. Those, that's the first five verses. Teachers are to honor God. And second, teachers must teach faithfully. And that's verses six through nine. Let, let's, read, let's read verses one through five again. Therefore, this decree is for you priests. If you don't listen... 
And if you don't take it to heart to honor my name, says the Lord of armies, I will send a curse among you, and I will curse your blessings. In fact, I've already begun to curse them because you're not taking it to heart. Look, I'm going to rebuke your descendants, and I will spread animal waste over your faces, the waste from your festival sacrifices, and you'll be taken away with it. Then you will know that I sent you this decree so that my covenant with Levi may continue, says the Lord of armies. My covenant with him was one of life and peace. I gave these to him. It called for reverence, and he revered me and stood in awe of my name. You know, in the New Testament, we have one high priest, and that high priest is Jesus, and all believers are priests. So when we read in Malachi, we recognize there's a covenantal difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. In the Old Testament, priests, as you know, were confined to the tribe of Levi. So the the parallel, right, there's a difference between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. All believers are priests, but I think the parallel in the New Testament is the pastors or overseers or elders. You know, those are three terms for the same office, pastors, elders, and overseers. So all believers are priests, but the priests in the Old Testament were, were the leaders, were the teachers. So I think we can apply this to pastors today. Well, perhaps you're thinking, well, that's nice. This is going to be a nice sermon. I'm not a pastor. This sermon doesn't apply to me. Uh, but but the, the verses do apply in another sense to all of us, don't they? Because we're all called upon to honor God and to be faithful to his word. And, and all of us are teachers to some extent, right? We, you teach children. You, you, you may teach a women's Bible study. You, um, you may be involved in a women's ministry or a, in a discipleship relationship. And, in, and even in, when we talk to one another one-on-one, we're, we're called upon to be faithful to God's word. So we see, by the way, in chapter 1, if we went back to chapter 1, these priests, they're dishonoring God. How are they doing it? By They're offering blind, lame, sick, and uh, stolen animals to God. So that's pretty obvious, isn't it? They're dishonoring God by what they're offering to God. And God says, you're to fear me, and you're to honor my name. These priests claim to be listening to God, but they're not really listening. They claim to be listening, but they're not really listening. You know, I don't know you, but so we're not going to talk about today, but that could happen, right? You could be out there pretending to be listening to your pastor, but you're not really listening. You're somewhere else, right? That, this, that's what's happening with the priests, right? They claim to be listening, and they're not. They're not. They're not, they're not really listening. You know, that, that can happen with children, right? You, you, you can reprove them for something, but their hearts can be cold and defiant and stubborn. And that, that's, that's what's happening with these priests. God, God indicts them, but they're, but they're not really sorry. Can you think of the last time maybe someone reproved you? Maybe if you're married, it's your spouse. Can you think of the last time you received a reproof and you responded by apologizing and saying, I'm sorry, I 
I, I wounded you, I hurt you, I injured you. You know, that's what the priests weren't doing, right? God's saying, you need to turn around, and they're like, no, we, we're, we're just fine. So those who, there's a connection in this text between listening to God's word and, and fearing and honoring uh, God's name. Because if you're not listening to God's word, listening is more than just hearing, as we'll see, but if you're not really listening to God's word, then you're not really honoring him. Then you don't stand in awe of his name. And that's the problem these priests uh, were having. Um, in, in, the, in the books of Moses, especially Exodus through Numbers, we, we see, and Malachi refers to this, God made a special covenant with the tribe of Levi so that they served him as priests. And that purpose was to bring life and peace. Do you see that in verses 4 and 5? God, God made that covenant to bring life and peace with the people. God wanted his people, God desired his people to enjoy life and peace. John 10.10 10 says Jesus came so that we could have abundant life. Isn't that incredibly kind and gracious of God? You know, how do you think about God today? Do you think of him as a God who wants you to have life, as a God who wants you to enjoy peace, or, or do you think that God wants to make your life miserable? You, you know, Adam and Eve, why did they sin in the garden? Because the serpent came to them, and what did the serpent say? If you follow God, you're not going to have the full life that you really want to have. If you God is really withholding something from you, but the way to freedom and the happiness is not his way, it's another way. So, so, so what Satan wants to convince of, us of, as he convinced Adam and Eve, is, hey, don't, don't follow the Lord, because following the Lord is not the way to life and peace. Following the Lord is, is the way to make you un, unhappy. All of us in here, no matter how old you are or how young you are, you, you want life and peace more than anything else in the world, even if you're not conscious of it this moment. That's what you want, and, and we, we can have peace with God if you're not a believer, right? Through our great high priest, Jesus Christ, who suffered on the cross, took God's wrath upon himself for our sake and our salvation so that if we trust in him and give our lives to him, and put our faith in him, then we have eternal life. But these priests, these priests were not fearing God's name. Maybe some of you have read the book Into Thin Air by John Krakauer. That, that, if you haven't read that book, I'm not going to ruin it for you today. It's a great and powerful book. I love John Krakauer as an author. In this book, he talks about an expedition to Mount Everest, and they prepared for that awesome climb because they feared the mountain. Still, i tell you a little bit about the book, right? Still, some of them, some of them did not fear the mountain enough. Some of them broke the rules, and they knew they were breaking the rules, and the consequences were disastrous, told so well in this story. You know, maybe we can say the same thing about that 
Titan submersible, that disaster that happened recently that, that exploded right uh, in the ocean while they were going down to, to view the Titanic. Many would say proper safeguards weren't taken. Not enough fear of the mountain, not enough fear of the ocean, that, that can be deadly. I mean, if that's the case with Mount Everest, if that's the case with the Titan submersible, how much more is that true of God? Everest and the depths of the ocean, they're mighty and majestic, but, but they point to, right? They point to, that's the way God made this world, they point to God's majesty, his greatness. And they remind us, God, God is to be feared. He wants us to have abundant life, but he's to be feared. He's, he's an awesome God. He's, he's mighty. He's majestic. And in the right sense of the word, he's terrifying, isn't he? Well, remember the story about these two priests in Leviticus, Nadab and Abihu? Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, each took his own fire pan, put fire in it, placed incense on it, and presented unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them to do. Then fire came from the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord has spoken. I will demonstrate my holiness to those who are near me, and I will reveal my glory before all the people. They offered strange fire before God, fire that God told them not to offer, and they were consumed. There's a reason we're told four times in the Bible, our God, our God is a consuming fire. As kids, we're told, don't play with fire. And, And those who play with God, like Nadab and Abihu did, like these priests were doing in Leviticus, They were playing with fire. I'm reminded of that famous line about Aslan in the Chronicles of Narnia, where Lucy asks whether Aslan is a safe lion, and she's told he isn't safe, but he's good. Mrs. Beaver goes on to say to Lucy, if there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they're either braver than most or else just silly. Our God, our God, as we sing, is an awesome God. He's a holy God. And these priests, they were being too casual with God, right? They were taking God for granted. They were forgetting that God is to be feared. God doesn't tell us that to destroy us, right? That he's awesome, but to bless us to do good to us. And the priests are to mediate God's blessing to the people. What's the most famous blessing that the priests are to mediate? You you know it, right? From Numbers chapter 6, verses 24 through 26, right? The, The Lord bless you. And this is what the priests were to pronounce. The Lord bless you. And, and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. The Lord, what's the blessing? The Lord bless you. How does he bless you? By keeping you, right? How does the Lord bless us? By preserving us, keeping us, protecting us. The Lord make his face shine upon you. How does it shine upon you? By being gracious to us, right? And, and the Lord lift up his countenance upon us. How does he do that? 
by giving us peace. What a great prayer. Do you pray that prayer regularly for yourself and for others? What, what a great prayer to pray. That's what the priests were to pray. That's, that's, that's the blessing. But God threatens to curse the blessings of the priests. So I take it, why would God curse the blessings of the priests? I take it the problem isn't only with the priests, but also with the people, right? God, God's not arbitrary. God's not whimsical. God's not capricious. He's not just cursing the people because the priests are bad. No, the, the, the people are bad too. So, the, so instead of the people being blessed through their leaders, they're going to be cursed. Instead of life and peace, there'll be death and dissension. How does that apply today? When pastors don't honor and fear the Lord, and, and I think your pastors too, by the way, you know, meeting them. Meeting, I met them for the first time last night. They, they, uh, I can tell they love the Lord. But when they don't, the consequences for churches are dire. Such pastors drive their people farther away from the Lord. So because these priests aren't honoring the Lord, the Lord says, I'm going to rebuke your offspring. Their children won't flourish either. Of course, a threat like that isn't automatic, is it? If the children, if the children repent, they can be saved. You know, we merged. I was the preaching pastor. I merged with the church in 2001. And look, I know there's exceptions. So this is not an absolute word I'm saying. But every, the, the church was mainly made up of people who were 70 and older. Not a one of their kids was in the church. Not a one. And there was a reason for that. There was a reason for that. I don't think there's a guarantee our kids will be in the church, but none of their kids were in church. And, it, and, and when I began to minister in that congregation, I learned why. Because, because there wasn't a fear of God amongst them. And kids, kids know us, right? Kids know what we're really like. Kids know what we really love. We can say one thing, but kids know our heart, right? Kids know what we really treasure. And the kids picked up on it. Obviously, there were exceptions even in the church of parents who loved the Lord. But most of them, they were very casual about the things of God. It was more like a social club. And the kids picked that up, and what did the kids say? Why go to church? The, kid, the, kid, the kids are smart, aren't they? Why, do, why, why even bother? You know, we've seen this in our day as well. I was in Germany uh, this summer, where for many generations now, teachers and pastors have taught in Germany, not all of them, but the majority, there's mistakes in God's Word. What's the consequences? Churches that are almost completely empty. Churches that are dying. And a German culture that is largely turned against the Christian faith. I thought about how ironic this is. Those people who taught the Bible, they taught it and said, the Bible has heirs. And what did they do? They produced a generation they couldn't care less about the Bible. They, they, they produced a generation that doesn't go to church, doesn't read the Bible, because why? Because they had unfaithful leaders. As Galatians 6, 7, and 8 says, God will not be mocked. What people sow, they'll reap. And God says to the priests, okay, here it is. I didn't write this. 
You sow excrement. You sow excrement. You sow dung. So I'm going to take the dung. I'm going to take the excrement. I'm going to take the entrails of the sacrifices and I'm going to wipe it in your faces. That's what God says. God says, I won't use a dynamic equivalent translation here. God says, if you treat me like dung, then I'll wipe it on your face. So that's a sobering word. That's, that's the word of the Lord, right? I, I'm not making this up. That's what's in the text. No one despises God and finally escapes. That's a sobering word to me. I hope it's sobering to you. The Lord honors his holy name. He judges those who refuse his lordship. He will come with terror and with fire. All of this is said so the priests will repent, right? God says this because he loves them. God is calling on his people to turn back to him. Remember, Jesus wept over the judgment of Jerusalem. But they didn't listen, and the city and the temple were all destroyed. So, so pray for your church, pray for your leaders, that you will honor God's name. Remember the first petition of the Lord's Prayer. What is it? Hallowed be thy name. So, that's the first truth. The second is this, teachers must teach faithfully. Let's, let's read verses uh, 6 through 9. True instruction was in his mouth, that's Levi, and nothing wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and integrity and turned many from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and people should desire instruction from his mouth, because he is the messenger of the Lord of armies. You, on the other hand, have turned from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have violated the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of armies. So I, in turn, have made you despised and humiliated before all the people, because you're not keeping my ways, but you're showing partiality in your instruction. I mean, we see once again here the the priests aren't teaching faithfully, so what is God saying? I'm humiliating you. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm making you despised among the people. The priests had a special responsibility. Pastors and teachers have a special responsibility to teach faithfully. Le Leviticus chapter 10 verse 11 says to the priests, you must teach the Israelites all the statutes that the Lord has given to them through Moses. Deuteronomy 33 verse 10 says about the priest, they shall teach Jacob your rules and Israel your law. We see an example of a good priest in Ezra chapter 7 verse 10. Now Ezra, who was a priest, had determined in his heart to study the law of the Lord, obey it, and teach its statutes and ordinances in Israel. Did you notice the order there? Ezra studied Scripture. He knew it. He meditated on it, meditated on it. But secondly, he didn't secondly teach it. Secondly, he obeyed it. He followed what Scripture said. He applied it to his own life. So that, that's very important, isn't it? He didn't just study it. He obeyed it. And then he taught it. So that's, that's the example for me and for all of us but especially for pastors. Study, yes. That's, that's, that's a, your pastors are called to study, aren't they? And secondly, to obey. And then, and then to teach. That, that's the order. It, 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 it shows whether we trust God, doesn't it? 
whether, whether we listen to and obey his word. Re- recently, I went to the doctor. My eye, just like one night, it just started watering, watering, watering. I had no idea what it was. So I go to, I go to the eye doctor, right? And she says, you have viral conjunctivitis. I have no idea what that meant. But when I got home, I found out that's pink eye. I got, I've got pink eye. Well, okay, I've got pink eye. But I could have said to the doctor when she said you have viral conjunctivitis, you're crazy. I don't believe you, right? Well, why should I believe you? I, there's no way pink eyes for kids, you know? But I trusted the doctor, right? She's the expert. What do I know about eyes? Nothing. I didn't even know what viral conjunctivitis was. So, you know, we trust God's word, right? He's the expert. We're, we're the students. We're the disciples. We're, we're the learners. So, you know, Malachi tells us that the first priest, Levi, was a faithful teacher. He guarded knowledge. In, in, in Titus chapter 1, we read that elders, overseers, must hold to the faithful message. This is Titus 1 verse 9. They're to hold to the faithful messages taught so that they will be able to encourage in the sound teaching and refute those who contradict it. So, did you see that? Elders must first, they must hold to the faithful teaching. Very much like Ezra again, right? What what are elders to do? Hang on to that faithful teaching. Secondly, they're, they're to encourage others in that faithful teaching. So, they're, they're to communicate that faithful teaching to others and that sound teaching. An elder has to have the ability, right, to communicate clearly what God's Word says. So, that they, they have to have that ability. But thirdly, they must be able to refute those who contradict because there's a danger of false teaching. So, an elder must have the ability, or a pastor, same office, or overseer. All three words mean the same thing. Did you know, by the way, the word pastors is only used once in the New Testament of our leaders? But that's, our, that's a fine word, but the most common word is elders. But anyway, uh, they must be able to explain uh, why uh, from Scripture, why certain teachings are wrong or false. So, so that, that's a gift, right? Not everyone has. That's why not everyone can be a pastor, to be able to say, Here, here's what they're teaching about the Trinity, right? And here's why it's wrong. Here's why it's heretical, say. They, they have to be able to explain that clearly. Why? Because faithful teaching changes people's lives, doesn't it? And, and Levi, we read in verse 7, turned many from iniquity. Faithful teaching leads to faithful living. Faithful, faithful teaching turns people away from sin. It sets them free. It gives them joy and peace. So I had the privilege from 1986 to 1997, not all of you have heard of him, but I was, had the privilege of being in John Piper's church. I taught for 11 years in a seminary in Minnesota. And uh, there was an older gentleman in that church, and he was such an encouragement to me because he was so excited to be in that church. And he'd come up and talk to me over and over and over again, and he'd say, isn't it thrilling to hear God's Word preached in this church? Isn't it thrilling to hear 
nothing explained away because John Piper believes it all, and he preaches it with passion and delight, and, and he would say to me, I am so happy. And you know, when I talked to him, I was happy. His happiness in God's Word, it was infectious. It was contagious. So it, it, it filled me with such joy. That, that's what it means to, to love God's Word, right? We, we meditate on His Word. We study His Word. We pray over His Word. We, we hear God's Word, and we, we delight in God's Word. But the priests in Malachi's day, they had departed from the truth, they corrupted the covenant, they caused many to stumble, and we see through their faithless teaching that they were causing problems. Why were they faithless? We, what do we read in verse 9? Because they were showing partiality. So they were faithless because they were showing partiality. What, what is that about? I, I think what was happening is this. They were teaching to, to please people. So that, isn't that a danger? We want people to be happy with what we say. So their teaching was motivated by a desire to please people in what they said. Maybe they were even getting financial gifts. So they were wanting to please people. And God says, well, since you want to please people and you're not being faithful to my word, I'm going to humble you. I'm, you're, you're, you, are, you are going to finally be judged because of that. So I want to close by just considering a passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. First um, Corinthians 3, verses 10 through uh, 17. And Paul says here, First Corinthians 3, verse 10, according to God's grace that was given to me, I have laid a foundation as a skilled master builder, and another builds on it, but each one is to be careful how he builds on it. For no one can lay any foundation other than that which has been laid down. That foundation is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become obvious. For the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire. The fire will test the quality of each one's work. If anyone's work that he has built survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will experience loss. But he himself will be saved, but only as through fire." Don't you yourselves know that you are God's temple and the, the Spirit of God lives in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and that is what you are. So, in this passage, Paul's talking about ministers who build on the foundation, right? The foundation Paul planted in that church is Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's the foundation that's built. And then he says, how do you build on that foundation? Do you build with gold, silver, and precious stones, or, or do you build with wood, hay, and straw? Gold, silver, and precious stones is good building, right? That's going to survive the fire. Gold, silver, and precious stones. Wood, hay, and straw, obviously, will just burn up. And then Paul says, what? There's three kinds of ministers, right? First, there's a minister who builds well on the foundation, who teaches faithfully God's word. That minister will be rewarded, right? That minister will receive a reward. There's a second kind of minister. This is a minister who's saved, right? What does he say? They'll be saved through fire. They're saved, 
but they don't teach God's word. They don't teach it faithfully in the congregation. Not necessarily teaching heresy, right? False teaching. I don't think that's what's going on. But do we see this in a lot of churches today? Maybe in the church, instead of teaching scripture, I'm giving a real example here, they decide, you know, our sermons are going to be on movie themes. That's what our sermons are going to be about, about certain movies that are happening. So they don't really build up their congregation with biblical truth. And therefore, there's not much fruit. The congregation might even be huge, but there's not, any, there's not really real fruit in the congregation. That's the second kind of teacher. What's the third one? It's the one who destroys God's temple. That's the church, right? The church is pictured here as a temple. God's church will not ultimately be destroyed, but there are local churches that are destroyed, right? I can name a church right down the street from us in Louisville. It is no longer a true church of Jesus Christ. It is pure liberal Christianity, which is not true Christianity. J. Gresham Machen's book, Christianity and Liberalism, 100 years old this year. Liberal Christianity is not Christianity, right? So it's not a Christian church at all. That temple has been destroyed. Many local churches have been destroyed. How? Through false teaching. Through false teaching. And he's, what does Paul say? God will destroy ministers who do that. He will, he will see to it that their work doesn't uh, endure. So, I close where I began. Pray for your teachers and your preachers, right? Pray for other churches in town here. Pray for other churches in your state of Tennessee. Pray for other churches in the USA. Pray for other churches in the Southern Baptist Convention. You know, one of the greatest needs all around the world is faithful teaching. So, so important. So let's pray, right? Pray for the teachers in this church and the pastors. Pray for your church. And uh, let's just pray that God will do a great work of building up faithful preachers and teachers for this generation and the generations to come. Let's pray.